guys. Welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this week I am not joined by my usual partner in crime. However, I'm joined by one of my favorite regular guests ever, the Hoyden. Hello. Hello. She is powering through some amazing, I guess, consumption in order to be here. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. This is TB. No, it's not TB. It's not quite strong like Ox, but it's something like that. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you like, you know nutted up, sacked up, and all those other terms in order to be here because, Hoyden, I have so many feelings about what we're talking about today, which is X-Men, Days of Future Past, and you and I, as far as I understand it, are the only people within our little circle of friends who actually gives a fuck about this fandom. Yes, so it's good that we're doing this together because how much time have we already lost in our lives to this stupid movie and then its follow-up? Like, probably a lot. Like, my Kindle is like a record of X-Men shame. It's just, it's just like so much, so much terribleness. It's true. It's true. And to be fair, I feel like you and I got completely taken down like the weak gazelles when First Class came out because it somehow appealed to a terrible part of our brains that just wanted that. Um, I think it wanted it so bad, like... X-Men First Class did, I think, a few really important, terribly good things for us. First, it was, like, our history boner. Yes. Two, it was, like, uh, tragic, possibly forbidden, possibly, <laughs> like, you know, never going to be consummated love, and also idiots. Yes. Like, I was just like, it was never going to be okay. No, obviously not. And, I mean, I think the thing that made it much worse was, of course, they casted, like, James McAvoy, who I'm, like, really weak to on a structural level anyways. And, you know, the fact that they made him Professor X made it, like, that much worse. And then we first meet him, and he's, like, fucking chugging a beer and, like, being a slut in a bar. And I was like, all right, so this is now my new jam. <laughs> this is my new thing. Yeah, I think that's, that is exactly the, the situation. I think we also both knew we're, like, we're probably going to go to this place again, but we can talk about this terrible place to which we have both once again succumbed. Yes. So circling back all the way to the very beginning of this conversation, we're talking about Days of Futures Past, which is the second new X-Men movie with the reboot cast and also the old school cast of X-Men also in residence. And before we started recording, I was saying that we should probably try to do an overview of the plot, but this movie is almost impossible to summarize. Am I right about this? I mean, we can give them the setup. Yes. Uh, let's do the setup. So yeah. the setup is uh, in a terrible dystopian future where uh, Charles and Eric are super old, but super awesome, stars uh, Patrick and Ian. Um and doing some nice voiceovers, which I think are, are good for all of us. Um, and so it's a terrible dystopian future. There are these robots called Sentinels that can hunt down mutants and then hunt down people who support mutants. And so there, there's a lot of hunting yes. and destruction and, like, sticker highways. And so in the end, like, sort of their, at their, their last stand, they're like, okay, um... So we can't fight these ro- robots. Like there's, 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 they adapt to us. Like there's nothing we can do. Um, here's our plan. Our plan is to Star Trek this action. Our plan is to send Wolverine back into the past, into his past, you know, his consciousness, into his past self, and prevent this business from happening in the first place. Prevent these robots from ever having been built. Yes. And here is where. I was really afraid when I started watching this movie. Right. The way it's set up is that um, basically Charles is like, this whole thing got kicked off because Mystique assassinated uh, the person who, like, builds these robots in the first place. And in doing so, she, um, like, gives the government a reason to actually build the robots and then... The Sentinel like program goes into like full fruition, mm-hmm. and um, shit gets bad. Um, so I was actually really initially uh, pretty worried because I was like, "Oh my god, get another like movie where it's like women make terrible choices, presumably with their ovaries or uteruses or whatever, 
and they're bad and we have to fix them. Yeah. Or, or like they shouldn't make choices at all because, you know, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. It's so true. I was really, I was like, Oh my God, are you serious? I'm going to kill everybody. I might hate this movie. I guess I'll just see what happens. But in its defense, it goes completely different than that. It, it does. And I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised by that. Um, actually like in general, so going into, I did not know anything when I walked into this movie. Same. I just thought, I was like, I don't want to know. I don't even want to, like, see, like, McAvoy and Fassbender doing their press. Like, I was like, I, don't, I just don't want to know nothing. I just want to go in and, like, let this happen to me. So, uh, so I genuinely did not know, like, anything. <laughs> I was like, I'm just, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, um, like, the interesting thing for me is that I think, you might agree with me on this, but you can tell me whether you do or not, is that, so, post um, X-Men First Class, um, I read so many things that imagined what would happen after First Class, that yes. imagined yeah. what would happen after what fandom has come to terms a beach divorce. Yes. Um, because what better way to say, I love you, and we're never, ever getting back together than, you know, deflecting a bolt into somebody's spine and paralyzing <laughs> 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 what was going to happen after the beach divorce, like what was going to happen and drawing on just like all these you know, varied facets of comics canon mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, inform and imagine like what could happen afterwards. And part of me was honestly skeptical because I was like, I did not know if I trusted or believed in fact that the movie was going to do anything that I liked Mm-hmm. Or that I hadn't already read done better. Exactly. And you know what? I have to say that I, you know, I mean, like, this movie has, like, a lot of, like, external noise going around, which is pretty unfortunate because I think it's yeah. probably, like, to the film's detriment. Like, from a pure Hollywood movie machine side, like, the Brian Singer fiasco, which, if you don't know about it yet, go Google this. Um, he's being sued for basically there's a kid who accused him of drugging and raping him at this Hollywood sex ring party multiple times, like over the course of years. So he completely fell off the entire press junket circuit. And then from a less Hollywood movie machine side, there's a whole issue of like Fassbender became huge after I think the first, um, the first, X-Men First Class movie, and it wasn't because of X-Men First Class, but he was in a bunch of stuff. And as he became more popular, people sort of looked into his background, and there's, like, all this, like, fucked up shady stuff back there, and he's just, he doesn't seem like a very pleasant person in reality. Um, Which also makes, also creates, like, a lot of side noise. So, there's, like, a lot of stuff going on around this film, and then you hear about what the sort of plot is, and it's this complete Hydra mess of different plot lines and parallel constructions. And when this movie opened, I have to say, I was incredibly skeptical with the opening of this film, right? Because if you guys have seen, I hope you guys aren't listening to this without having seen the movie, because we're obviously spoiling the crap out of it. But um, it opens with that scene with like these seven mutants that you don't like fucking know from Adam in the opening scene in this completely weird dystopian world, battling it out with these entities that you've never seen before. And the only character, you don't know any of the characters. I think the only person I recognized was Ellen Page as um, Kitty. And then a little bit later, Bobby comes in and that's it, right? Like that's the only, those are the only people you recognize in the opening. And it's not until you get a little bit further into the intro after all of these like very dramatic, very interesting fight sequences go through that you actually see some recognizable mutants. So like I walked into this movie and I'm, to be fair, the last movie that I saw in a theater was Spider-Man 2. So, like, basically anything was going to be better than my experience watching, like, fucking Tasm 2 and that, like, god-awful shit show. But I, like, walked into that movie and all I wanted, all I wanted was for it to be, like, mediocre. I just didn't want it to be terrible. I didn't want, like, it to be gross. And that was all I expected. And instead I came out really, really entertained. 
because I was really down on this film. Like, I had no expectations, in addition to the fact that, like, Fassbender is kind of like, eh. And then, in addition to the fact that, like, anytime you look up anything about this movie, you get to read about Brian Singer's lawsuit. Like, so I was like, you know what? Let's just get through this, self. Let's just go watch this, and maybe it won't be terrible, and maybe it won't be stupid. And instead, it turned out to be really, really entertaining. And I was really reminded of the fact that the first two X-Men movies, right, like a million years ago, were great, and that Brian Singer had directed those as well. Like, whatever is going on in his personal life, set that aside for the moment. Like, he did a really good job with those stories, and he similarly did a very good job with this story. I thought something that was really interesting about this movie as compared to other Marvel movies in recent memory is that I think with the other Marvel movies, they've been very careful to be like, okay, like, here's a recap for you in case you missed the last movie. Or oh, yeah. Back. In this one, they were totally comfortable. They're like, no, if you came into this movie, you better know all this stuff. Like, exactly. Like, that's actually exactly what Mer... Mer- I went to see this movie also with Marilyn, who is, like, my New York shitty movie buddy at this point. Like, um... <laughs> We walked out of that movie, and she was like, holy shit, like, if you didn't already know the X-Men, that movie gave you nothing to hold on to. But, you know, to be honest, with the the enormous cast of characters they actually had in that movie, yeah, um, like, I, I just don't think there was any room no. to like, go back and, like, remind you. I just sort of, I, I was like, I think it was a good choice to be like, if you're here, you're in it to win it. Like, yeah. you're not, yeah. Like, you don't need us to tell you who Storm is. Like, meh. Yeah, exactly. And I think that they very wisely, like, at the point of confusion, right, they, like, found ways to distract me from wanting to be like, this plot is uh-huh. dumb. Like, beautifully done. Like, very, very shallow and beautifully done. Like, uh-huh. the okay, so first of all, like, I admit that I, the X-Men are not my favorite. Like, I, they're okay. Like, they were among the first superhero films I ever saw. And, uh-huh. like, I personally love Professor X because, like, holy shit, that's awesome. But, like, the rest of the cast, I'm just, like, not into. However, I will always perv on Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. So, like, (laughs) when you threw his consciousness through time, which, dumb. Just dumb. It's, like, it's one of those things where, like, when they explained what she was going to do, and that was her mutant power, I was sitting here thinking, like, if someone had written a fanfic about this mutant power, I'd be, like, this is bad fic. But this is bad fic that is in, like, a multi-million dollar plot movie. Right. Whatever. So, like, I was, like, in this bad fic plot that is happening right now on this beautiful screen, um, I'm going to start calling bullshit, except then Wolverine crawls out of a bed naked, and we get, like, a very gratuitous, like, ass shot of Hugh Jackman silhouetted in front of a window, and I was just like, interesting. I'd like to read more about this newsletter, and I'm going to stop analyzing this in any sort of intelligent way. Yeah, it's just sort of like, just stop. Just stop. It's okay. It's fine. Um, and, like, the, the thing that I enjoyed about it is, like, A, it was incredibly entertaining. B, there were all these sort of um, nods and winks yes. to history that, you know, it didn't go overboard with the historical references and so forth. But the ones that they did were sort of, again, not the most original, but they were clever and it was engaging to yeah. be like, when we learned that Magneto is, like, in a plastic prison because... Uh, he was involved, like, they think that he assassinated JFK. Like, my face in the movie theater was Yes! (laughs) I was, like, I literally did the same, like, overjoyed, like, what the fuck face. And then I just, like, hissed under my breath, Eric! So that's another thing I did in this movie a lot. Like, without, I mean, just... Eric fucking Lencher, man. Like, Magneto, what the fuck is wrong with you? There are, there are a lot of things we can discuss in this film, but, like, one thing we definitely have to double back to is the fact that, like, he is so fucking crazy. Like, he is so cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and, like, you just look at him and the choices that he makes, and you're just like, you are the worst hookup in the world. You are, like, the worst, craziest person to have sex with on vacation Ever. You're that guy who's going to steal my car and take my wallet after a one-night stand, you fucking lunatic. Here's the remarkable thing. So even though this film had so many characters, I think, to its detriment, because yes. we didn't spend a lot of time with all of them, but one of the things that I really was really fascinated to see was that the characterizations they put forth in first class carried through so strongly into this yeah. movie. Like, I could 
3,000% see why Eric Lecher made every single dumbass decision he did this movie. I was like, yeah, of course <laughs> Of course you did. Like, what else were you going to do? Of you're course like, you were involved in the JFK assassination on some level, because you're an idiot. Of course you're like, I can totally see concentration camps happening to me all over again, so I'm going to, I don't know, rip an entire baseball stadium out of the ground, <laughs> float it, um, also, by the way, engage in some sort of trade heist with mm-hmm. these sentinel things, and... I, I don't know what he did with them, but it looked vaguely sexual. It was kind of weird. It did look um, vaguely sexual. I mean, yeah. okay, I think the three main characters of this film might be a good way to explore the character arcs. And I feel like the three main characters of this film were Charles, were Raven slash Mystique, and yeah. Eric. And yeah. let's start with Raven, because I think that she was like... They did an interesting fake-out, right? Because it... You start the movie, and you think it's going to be about Charles and Eric saving the past. And it... And very much it sort of pivots on this, like, the whole thing about, like, men arguing about what women can do without asking any of their opinions. And then at the very last minute, they do an interesting sort of pivot on that theme. And you realize that, no, ultimately, like, Charles, who is a good guy and, like, smart and teachable, is going to realize that the point is not that he can make Raven do anything or stop her from doing something, right? Because, like Hank talks about, like, the ripples in the water, sometimes things just happen you have to let her make her own choice and trust that she will make the right choice because you know that she's a good person, blah, 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 whatever. So I thought that Raven's arc in this film was really interesting. And I think that Jennifer Lawrence played it really well because the first time she appears on screen, every time she appears on screen, she's much colder than the Raven that we met in the first movie. And she seems, um, she seems to have been betrayed by Eric, which is pretty clear that he's like fucked her over and yeah. she still believes in the mission of helping mutants, but that she she seems brittle and she seems harder. And I loved that version of her where she just, like, is willing to do what needs to get done to get shit done. I, I really, like, I found Raven's arc really emotionally affecting because she, we see one scene where she is, so she's doing all this, like, interesting like, espionage work. Yes. Which is great. And she's good at it. She's very good um, at it. So she is investigating Dr. Trask, who is the the villainous dude who is building these anti-mutant robots. Yes. And um, we should talk about him, too, just because... Uh, Peter Dinklage, yeah, come on. It's so great. Um, but, so she's investigating um, all of, you know, his stuff because, you know, she wants to help mutants. And she comes across this file of, like, all of her, you know, oh, like, yeah. since she is known who have been, like, tortured and, like, autopsied afterwards. And, yeah. And, looks, and, like, you realize that, like, for her, like, this has been, like, the past ten years has been, like, knowing or hearing or, or seeing about these things happening and wanting to stop it and trying to find her own path to doing so. And apparently without Eric's help because, you know, he's been in prison. So, um, <laughs> no help there. So... So, like, she's been doing her best, and so for her, like, the stakes are, are very real and present, mm-hmm. and um, not like Charles, who's been hiding away drunk for ten years. Yes. Not like Eric, who's been in prison. Like, she's been out there and been, like, seeing the world as it is, and, like, you can absolutely see where she's like, this dude has to be stopped, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, Raven, like, 3,000%, dude has got to be stopped, like... Yes, I completely agree with that. And I think that the other element of this that I actually really enjoyed is that her planning sort of tells you how young she still is, right? Because she doesn't have a global view of things. Like, in her head, every mutant she saves is a mutant one. Like, the way that she, like, how old is she, like, at this point? Like, she was in her late teens in the first movie. It's been 10 years, so she's, like, in her 20s at this point, right? And she's, like, she's lived a life of hard graft or whatever. And I think that she she very much views individual mutants as individual people. So she doesn't necessarily have, like, the pull-away viewpoint and say, like, what is the big structural thing that I can do? And that's probably because she just, like, she literally knows she doesn't have the capacity for it, right? Like, she's one person... The two guys who really should have been helping her with this, on some level, are both, like, fucking, sh- like, totally 
erase themselves from the picture, right? There's Eric with his stupid bullshit end up in prison in a plastic jail under the Pentagon. And then there's, like, Charles, who is just a human disaster right now and has been for a decade. So it's just Raven. And she's very much doing what she can with what she has. But not... She's one person. She's one person. And you get her desperation very clearly in this film. And I also loved, though, that she just, like was also so angry and hurt through this entire process that, like, her brain is like, I'm going to kill Dr. Trask. And this is... Because she doesn't really know the consequences, right? Like, she's not aware of what's going to happen as a result of this. She, in her head, she's like, if I kill Trask, this project will lose its head, and they will at least stop torturing mutants. That's what I can do. And... I think the good thing about this is that the movie doesn't do this in a sense like, oh, this dumb bitch, like, look what she's going to cause because she doesn't know. It's very much like Raven is desperate. Raven is alone. This is what Raven is going to do. And she doesn't even want to be a killer, but... She just wants to do what she can, and this yeah. seems like a thing that she can do. Exactly. And I thought the really sort of, like, the interesting fake-out is so this whole thing is, like, we have to stop Raven. Yeah. Um, so it turns out in the movie that they do prevent her from killing Trask at the moment that it seems like she's going to. And then Eric, of course, makes such an Eric move where he's like, I'm just going to kill Mystique because this, this, like then she can't do it. I'm like, oh, Eric, 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 Eric. That Eric. was, I was so confused. And this is actually like a good transition point, right? Because yeah. um, I, in conclusion, I know that some people had problems with Raven in this movie. I really loved her in this movie. Um, and I thought that, like, the use of her powers and stuff were great, even though, like, they make no sense. Like, her mutation makes no fucking sense whatsoever. But I thought it looked amazing. I thought that the effects on her looked amazing. I thought that she was great. Um, so, like, let's transition into our favorite, like, 20 pounds of crazy in a five-pound bag, a.k.a. Eric, what is wrong with you? Um, so many things. Um, so we... We, in this movie, we don't see Eric until Charles and Quicksilver P.S. Eric's son that he doesn't know about, who is amazing and a delightful individual, and I just want him to have, like, everything he wants. Oh my god, but he's also an asshole, and you're like, oh, look, it breeds true. Good job, Eric. Good job. Good job. A plus. A plus. Um, so, Charles and Quicksilver and... Uh, Logan, Logan, who is the and Hank, and Hank, um, are going to break Eric out of mutant prison. Oh God! Um, <laughs> this movie sounds so bad. <laughs> it's, 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 it's terrible, and yet it's a great scene. Like it's a great scene of them, you know, like using Quicksilver's powers to like. That was truly the greatest scene in this movie. So great, and then uh, Hank doing like his techno thing, and. Uh, Logan being Logan. Yeah. Sorry. So they have to break they have to break Eric out of Pentagon Mutant Jail. And he's yes. like been kept in a plastic box essentially for ten years. Yes. Um, here's a word to the wise. A, uh, his crazy has not dissipated. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no, no, no. So after they break him out of mutant jail, they're on like a plane together as they're going to Paris. Yes, is that right? Yes. Paris. Yeah. Because that's where uh, Mystique is supposed to assassinate Trask, and so that they're going there to stop her or whatever. And I was really just waiting. I was like, how are they going to handle, like, this first scene of Charles and Eric seeing each other again? And it turns out pretty much exactly the way I wanted them to. Um, It involves Charles punching Eric, which I think everybody in this movie including everybody watched it who wanted to punch Eric a whole lot. Just oh a lot. Oh my god, so much. So much uh, punching in the face. Although they, the, the other part about that setup that makes it delightful, right, is that basically the first time Eric and Charles run into each other again is immediately after Quicksilver breaks Eric out of his plastic prison right. at the Pentagon. And so everyone is drenched because the sprinklers have gone up. Don't ask. It's like a long fucking story. But, fun. um... So right then, Logan is with Charles, and he's like, sure, are we just, like, fucking punching our way through this? And Charles is like, I'm not actually into violence. And then the elevator doors open, and there's Eric Lenscher, and he manages to say, Charles, and Charles is on him. Like, fucking lays him out flat with a knockout punch. And I was like, 
golf clapping, golf clapping in the theater. I was so happy. I wanted him to like, because he was still upright, I wanted him to like stomp on his penis a couple of times because Eric is the worst. He's the worst. He's the worst. But here's the thing. Here's why it's actually so hard to talk about Eric Lenscher, like singular alone and not in relation to Charles because the next scene when they're actually on the plane is the scene where like Eric actually says he is sorry. He apologized. And I was like, I wasn't quite expecting this yeah but i don't think that apologies mean the same thing to eric as they do to other people because like he's sorry but that's not gonna stop him from being like a crazy person in like 15 more minutes of this movie um but the terrible thing is though the terrible thing is that eric lynchers crazy is all like on a continuum like you're just like you're like, I, the thing is, sometimes characters in movies make crazy decisions because they're just crazy, but, like, Eric is crazy with a purpose. Yep. Like, every single thing he does, you're like, I totally know why you're making this decision. I disagree with you a whole bunch. Yep. I see. Like, I can completely see and completely buy why he thinks the way he does. He has an internal logic, right, that he's consistent yeah. with. And it's right. a crazy internal logic. But he is consistent with it. Like, and if you think of... I mean, the thing is, too, is that you're just like, okay, if your guiding principle is, I once watched um, my, you know, entire people nearly be, you know, exterminated. Yep. Like, you know, like, eliminated from the earth. Yep. And you don't want to watch that happen a second time. You're like, okay, every single thing... If, if that guides every single one of your actions, you're like, well, yeah, uh, I, I get where you're coming from. Again, I think you are wrong. Yeah. But, like, goddamn, Eric, I see, like, exactly where you're coming from. And that's, like, kind of the worst part is that you're like, Absolutely. I see what made you the way you are. Exactly. Like, I don't see that. Yeah. Well, it's also. I need someone to talk you down from whatever it is you're about to do. Right. But it also hails back to that awful comment, right, that, like. Um, that someone else made, like, you can help people if you get to them early enough. And I feel like the problem is that, like, Charles is able to help a lot of mutants after he has a school, and, like, maybe he needs, and, like, you know, like, Hank turns out okay, and, like, a lot of other mutants turn out okay, but, like, Eric, he met way too late in his life. And I think the fundamental tragedy also of Eric, right, and this takes me a little bit of, like, okay, I have to pull myself out of, like, punching him in the penis mode to be, like, the really sad thing about Eric is not that he, like, is dead inside and doesn't love and, like, is crazy. I think he genuinely loves Mystique. And I think it, like, I think it really fucks him up to, like, be, like, the only way to maybe deal with this problem is by killing Mystique. He has the capacity to say, I have to do this in order to prevent X, Y, and Z from happening. But it does, I think it does hurt him because he does genuinely seem to care for her a great deal. Who knows in what capacity. Thankfully, they did not clarify that in this movie because if they had made it look like Eric and Mystique were bone zoning, I was going to, like, throw my popcorn at the screen. Basically. Yeah. No, I did leave that actually pretty, like, we we don't know for We sure. have no idea. I think they walked that very carefully, and, like, you can read it either way. I choose to read it, like, really deranged mentor-mentee relationship, but whatever, you know, like, you can go either, you can go whichever direction you want with that. But it's also, like, it hails back to the entire, um, from the first series of X-Men movies, where after Charles dies, uh, Eric is, like, he is the greatest man. He did so much for mutants, and the only thing I regret is that he had to die for our cause. Like, he's willing to kill Charles. He loves him with every fiber of his being, but that's not going to stop Eric from, like, murdering Charles if he thinks it's going to help him achieve his goals, which... Also include his need for wearing the penis helmet and the magenta bias cut cape. Like, there's a lot of stuff happening in this movie, but I'm going to be honest. Like, I was so confused. Like, where did you even get that outfit? Right? Like, he goes... You wake up in the morning and go, you know what I need? You know what I really need to really sell this? Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go for this magenta. It's just, it's gonna, like, this whole, like, taking hostage of the president and making, like, and murdering Nixon in front of the whole world thing is gonna go really well, but only if I have a cape. 
Only if I'm wearing, like, my dark purple magenta thing and my cape. Yes. You know what? No. Just, mm, no. He's Um, so bonkers. He's so fucked up and crazy. And it's, like, it's extra crazy this time because you have Logan, who traveled 50 years back in time, to tell you that this is crazy. And that if you do something like this, you're going to end up with this, like, horrible dystopian future. And you are still make. you're not only making the same decision, you are making the worst version of this decision. Like, so Eric. So peak Eric Leitcher. Right. And so the interesting part is that, so at the moment when Mystique was supposed to assassinate Trask, um, she is prevented from doing so... Like the the mo- like they have like they come upon her. She's about to do it, and um, Trask like slips away. Yeah. Um, and so the interesting part is that um, so they had the whole like crux of the story is that when Mystique like you know assassinated Trask in like their original past. Um, she was captured afterwards, and, like, it was through her, like, mutant genes that they made the Sentinels, like, even worse and even more... Effective, yeah. Yes. Um, sure, effective. Um, so fucking stupid. Yeah, so... So they prevent her from, like, initially assassinating Trask, and she gets away, but in the process of doing that, um, her blood is sort of, like, left on, like, a street... Everybody, like, sees mutants, like, because, like, this is broad daylight, and, yep. like, Mystique is, like, out in a courtyard, and, you know, everybody can see her, and then Hank goes all beast mode, and Eric is goes all crazy, and so it turns out that the thing that they had hoped to stop happened anyway. Yep. So, which was, to me, was, like, I was, like, oh, thank God. I was, like, I, seriously, like, I was really worried about this being another thing where, like, women can't make decisions, and when they do make decisions, they're terrible. And I was just like, I'm going to kill everybody. Um, so it was, I was like, like that fake out of like, oh, you tried to stop it, but oh, guess what? It happened anyways. Yeah. Screw you. Um, was, I thought, really interesting. And then like, there's a scene between Eric and Mystique um, where, you know, they have like this conversation about like, you know, it's a very tense conversation about high not good to see you. I'm going to really, I'm going to stab you if you say anything. (laughs) And it was really like, it's a good moment. Like it really illustrates, I think both of their, their characterizations at that time. Like you said, that Mystique is sort of strong, but also brittle. And she's, you know, she's fired. She's fueled with this purpose. Like she just, she like has seen what has happened to them other mutants and she just can't let it happen to more. This is Eric immediately after he just was definitely going to kill her if like he this from happening um, which you know would not endear me to anyone I suppose uh, fundamentally but in Eric's world apparently that's, that's fine. Um, so so the part of the movie we do sort of see um, Mystique on her own is she's still trying to, to do what she thinks has to be done and there's this moment in the hospital where she is being treated for the bullet wound that she sustained via Eric. Um, and, like, the nurse asks her, like, when they're watching footage on the TV of the seat, like, in, you know, her mutant form. And the nurse is like, can you imagine, like, waking up every day to see that in the mirror? And, like, it's a pretty heartbreaking moment where Mystique says, yeah, I yeah. can. And you're just like, oh! No, it's pretty um, terrible. Yeah, and, I also, I mean... Uh, I'm just, also, like, yeah, I was just, like, cheap as speak. I was like, yeah, baby, you do what you gotta do. Like. <laughs> so, I mean, launching off from this whole thing about Mystique and how much she cares, I think one of my favorite elements of this film, which was very small, ultimately, were the Mystique and um, Charles moments. So yeah. I had loved their relationship in the first movie, and I know that a lot of people were really mad at Charles about, like, certain ways that he behaved toward her in the first movie. I personally feel that a lot of that was overblown. 
right? Like, the big scene that people cite is when he's like, oh, oh my god, go put on some clothes. Like, why don't you fucking love what a mutant she is? I was like, I don't think that's an I hate you for being a mutant situation. I think that's a you're my sister and you're naked in the kitchen moment, right? Like, I am not cool with that. Like, Charles is probably not cool with that. He's weirded out by it. It's not even like he's disgusted by her mutant self. It's just her tits are there, and it's weird for him, right? So, um... I, yeah, that's, I think actually the first-class movie did a good job of navigating that weird tension of, like, sibling but not sibling relationship that they have. Yeah. Because it's, it's I think it's reasonably clear that Charles thinks of her as a sister, but I think it is much more ambiguous about how Mystique feels about him. Yeah, that's true. So it, it's charged with, like, all sorts of things. You know, does he react that way because he thinks of her in a familial sense? Is it about her mutant, you know, her mutant self? You know, what what's, what's going on here? Um, and, like, I think it's a combination of all of those things. Well, yeah, we could, like, talk for six hours about that. This movie starts ten years from the end of first class, and when we first see Charles, you find out that the school is an absolute mess. It's a dilapidated wreck. There are no students anymore. The school has been closed for ages. And Charles Xavier is somehow walking around, despite the fact that he was paralyzed by the bullet that was deflected into his spine. And you learn through, you know, champion exposition dump machine in this movie, Nicholas Holt, a.k.a. The Beast, that he has created a serum that suppresses your mutation, but that it does it by changing your DNA temporarily. Let's not think about this too hard. But as a result of this, it allows Charles to walk. But the side effect is that it also suppresses Charles's telepathy. So he basically hasn't been using his telepathy for a decade. Um, And I think the really interesting question here that we don't know the answer to is, did Charles start taking the serum in the beginning to help him walk? Or did he start taking the serum in the beginning to shut down the voices? And I personally think that he started taking it to shut down his telepathy and realize that it helped him walk later. I think there's there's a moment on the plane where I would want to watch that scene again because <laughs> it seemed to me that what Charles nearly tells Eric was that he just wanted that he started taking it to sleep. Like I, yeah, it's like like the pain was overwhelming. So like, and Charles makes a lot of voice like reference to like the voices and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I honestly didn't think it was. I think it is the voices, but I think that was somehow we get the sense when he is in Cerebro that he's tuned or is hearing only pain. Yeah, like he's hearing only voices in distress. It's possible. And, like, that's too much for him to deal with. And I, I don't know if we're meant to think that it's because of his not paralysis or, like, <laughs> what, I don't even know what's going on there, but, like, he genuinely seems to be, like, in a lot of pain. Like, that just seems to be, like, the state that he exists in. Yeah. And whether that's because the drug is continually, like, unparalyzing him or whatever, who knows. <laughs> um, again, let's not think about it too hard, but, um, I think here too is like another case where like I like can see the characterization where he as a result of things that happened in the first movie that um like you can see where he would have gone down this road. Yeah. And definitely. the road is for the record when Logan happens upon him in the school, hilarious because he is drunk and angry and uh just, you know, James McAvoy being a delight. As per usual. Um, what was it that you said when we were talking about doing this episode that you saw that part of the movie and were like, Prue is going to love this? <laughs> I did. Uh, yes, I did. I did watch that part. I was like, oh, we, we have to. Yes. Delicious. James McAvoy. Well done. Like, he's just a grimy, disgusting mess. And he hates everybody and everything. And you're like, yep, seems legit. Yep, I'm into that. I'm super into that. Um <laughs> It was a joy, and I think that he did a really, really, really good job in this movie. Um, He was juggling with a lot of, like, completely absurd emotional currents in this film, and he made them all seem really genuine to me. And that scene where it's, um, there's also, like, uh, this sounds so bad when I pull it out of the context of the film, but the scene where he is at his lowest and Logan has Charles read his mind 
so that he can jump into the future that Logan's mind is being projected from so that Charles can have a moment with future Charles via the medium of Logan's mind. Um, you, it, it has the potential to be a really bad scene because it is... Um, ridiculous on the face of it's it. It's so Why? ridiculous. But it actually turns out really well. And I think that's a credit to James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart. Absolutely. Um, it is actually done sort of visually in like a really interesting, like hazy way that they're talking to each other. This is, I thought, was a really good moment of older Charles talking to younger Charles being like, hey, listen, I know things blow right now, but they really do. And I got, like, nobody knows better than me, but, you know, you've got to do this thing and you've got to believe better of people than than you do right now. You've got to, you know, you've got to go forward. You can't yeah. just stay where you are. They, they saw it. Like, I'm totally sold. I'm like, yep. Um, I think with Charles, like, there's, like, a lot of character growth there. Definitely. Like, okay, like, terrible things have happened, but he manages to, to sort of come away from that experience and, and move forward in a way that Eric cannot. Right, and I think that that's part of what always credits Charles Xavier as such a, pro, as such a profoundly... Um, impressive hero within the context of the X-Men universe. It's like, it's his capacity for change and growth that makes him so lovely. You know, that's why you love him. And that's why like, I would want him to be my teacher because you know, like he's done some fucked up shit and he's seen some stuff and he's moved on and is like perfectly quaffed and has like a fucking floating wheelchair and is like a goddamn badass. Like if only I could be that cool when I'm old. Right. Um, it also, but this is also a good point when we're talking about, the lovely work that James McAvoy does in this movie, I think that he has two really good scenes with Raven, right? Like, so in the scene where uh, Raven is busting in around, about to murder Trask, she gets interrupted, and as she's, like, lying there, like, somewhat injured or whatever in this entire thing, Charles runs up to her and is like, hey, we're here, like, Eric and I are here, it's gonna be fine, we're gonna take care of you. And you can hear that how, like, how sort of, like, fragile and happy she is to, like, have him at her side again. And the two of them have this, like, even though they're literally in the background of another fight, um, the two of them are great. And he loves her so much, and she loves him so much. And then, of course, Eric's, like, a fucking lunatic, busts out a gun, and decides he's gonna murder Charles's sister because he's, like, a crazy person and the worst ex-boyfriend of all time. Um, And then, later, at the very end of the movie, where... Charles realizes that there's no way they can stop Mystique from doing anything, right? But he does project himself into her field of vision to say, please don't do this, right? Like, I know you'll make the right choice. Um, I can't stop you from doing anything. All I can do is wait for you to make the the correct decision because you're a good person. And I think, whatever, like, I know you, like, I can't control you and I've been trying too long. I just need to trust you. Um, And she does make the good... She's a good pivot from seen earlier where he tries the same paternalistic bullshit with her that he he did before. He tries to how, like, you can't do this or, like, you shouldn't do this. And she's like, you don't get to tell me, like, you know... But we we have to explain how that scene actually goes down, because, like, we we say it's such, like, oh, yeah, they had this conversation, but what actually happens is she's, like, in an airport, and Charles, who is finally allowing himself, after, like, a really crushing scene, to use his telepathy again, is bouncing himself into the consciousnesses of everyone sitting around Mystique and saying things to her through their bodies, which is like so creepy and yet so perfect and great. And you can just imagine how annoying he was as a brother. (laughs) He had this power. The worst, I assume. The worst. And like no scruples about it either. None. What are scruples? <laughs> no scruples. Yes, in conclusion, Charles Xavier, most annoying older brother of all time. Basically. So he does, in, like, in that moment, try to tell her, like, you can't do this, whatever. And she's like, you don't get to tell me what to do. She is so far beyond that now. You can see her just complete rejection of that. Like, she's just like, where have you been? Like, you know, you don't get to tell me what to do. Like, I'm doing this on my own. And, like, again, where have you been for the last 10 years other than, like, drunk in your castle exactly absolutely um so i mean it's i using your powers whatever yeah very much so i mean like so i think the thing that i would like to sort of bring this conversation in to talk about now 
um, is where do we go from here? Because I think one of the most interesting things about this movie is that it literally takes, like, the TNT to X-Men 3 Last Stand, right? Like, the entire movie has been completely destroyed now. Like, they've changed the timeline. It no longer exists at the end of the the film. This movie is that in preventing this whole... Because they succeed in the end. P.S., in case you were uh, not clear about this. Yeah. Um, Basically, Raven chooses not to kill Trask, and in doing she, you know, is hailed as, like, saving the president... And so, the, like, the Sentinel program is stopped, and it creates, like, a whole new future. And when Logan, like, wakes up again in the future, he's the only one who remembers, like, the awful, horrible, you know, dystopian future timeline. And, like, everything awful that happened in X-Men The Last Stand yep. is obliterated. There's actually, like, a really, like, him waking up is, I think, to me, I didn't expect this to happen quite, but you realize that all the horrible, awful shit he's seen, he wakes up in a reality where that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like, Jim Gray is still alive, and so is Scott, and it's really beautiful. And then, yeah. you know, Charles, old Charles, sees him again, and then realizes, you know, what has happened. And and it's just like, it's a really, it was sort of like a beautiful capper. Like, so, P.S., saved the future we got rid of that terrible movie that everybody agrees was an awful mistake and just awful and <laughs> um, everybody lives nobody dies it's great it is. I mean, that ending bit is a great, like, Easter egg for everyone who has liked the X-Men franchise in general. It was just, it was kind of nice, you know, that that that's the launch-off point now yeah. for the next series of movies. And I, uh, I listened to an interview with the writer of the film with the Empire Movie Podcast guys. They're really great. I cannot recommend them enough. And they were asking, so, like, for the next movie, is it going to be the McAvoy Fassbender cast, or is it going to be um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen cast? And they were saying, probably like this one, you would get a little bit of both. Which, you know what? I'm happy for that. Like, I'm happy for them to do that for as long as they want. I was really entertained by this movie. I thought it was a lot more fun that I... Um, than I had originally feared it would be. And I am perfectly happy to keep watching flicks like this because I think they did a really good job balancing it it all out. Yeah, it was a good balance of, like, characterization and action. And they just, they packed a lot into not a terribly long movie. Yes. Like, there's just a lot of moving parts going on in that movie. But it sort of... Like, you got the wow factor of, like, you know, watching all these cool mutant powers, like, fight and whatever. Um, but you also got, you know, some genuine emotion. And um, I wouldn't say that I came away from this movie with, like, <sighs> it didn't feel like a sort of soaring impact for me, but it felt satisfying and solid and entertaining. Yes. And I was happy about that. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to phrase it. Like, I also, in uh, speaking beyond just, like, soaring feelings as I came out of the film, I also did not come out of this film overwhelmed with feelings about Charles and Eric the way that I did after the beach divorce in the first movie, where, like, I basically, like, staggered out of that theater, like, emotionally shattered, being like, I need 17 cc's of fan fiction right now to get me through the rest of this week. So I think we, we've long agreed that for fandom to really, like, get their claws into something, you need enough world-building and enough, um, you need enough hooks to get you in, but you also need desperately to fix something. Yes. And boy, was that a situation that needed to be fixed. You're like, that is so much beach divorce. That is so much you paralyzed your boyfriend. Yep. Jerk. Um. But I think also it, this circles back to what you said at the beginning, right? Like, you and I, between the two of us, have basically read every single X-Men fan fiction. Like, X-Men first class-based fanfic in existence. Um, and neither of us have seen, saw this coming. I, I didn't. I, I, again, like, I honestly didn't know what to expect from this movie, and I'm not sure what to expect from this movie, from fandom after this movie, because part of me wonders if, um, 
if the fandom like ran its course after the first movie, like if we're gonna see like the same wave, because like there was a while there where I was loading like 30k fix onto like my Kindle every day and plowing through them on my commute, and then like loading more on like that night. Like I just kept <laughs> doing that. Like there was just so much good stuff coming out of uh, that fandom. Yeah. And so I'm kind of not sure. Um, we'll see the same thing again. I mean, I think the movie does a good, in the sense that it sort of wraps up the, the central, like, conceit and gives itself plenty of room to play in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, like, has, like, widened the possibilities again of what can happen. Like, I think they set themselves up well for, like, the next movie because, you know, sure, they can have another adventure and, like, the gang's all there to, like, do whatever it is they're going to do. Eric's probably going to be crazy. Charles is going to Charles, and uh, Mystique is going to Mystique. You know, I'm like, okay, good. Like, A+, plus, I'm absolutely willing to see another movie, but I'm not sure what fandom is going to do with this movie. Because the thing is, I didn't walk out of this movie being like, I need a thousand fix. I was like, okay, I'm interested. I, I have watched your take on Poet's Speech Divorce, people who actually made this movie. <laughs> I found it satisfying. Um not sure what I need after this. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And in terms of, like, the third movie that's coming up, um, did you stay all the way for the button at the very end of the film? Yes, even though I was confused by it. I was like, who is this lady? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is extra perfect. So we left the movie theater. We went out to our favorite, like, Mexican restaurant on the Upper West Side, and the first thing I did as soon as we had ordered was start Googling what the fuck happened in that button scene. So for people who don't know or just, like, were straight confused at the end of it, what happened in the button scene of the X-Men Days of Future Past movie is you open onto a scene from Ancient Egypt where there's this, like, dude constructing... Um, the Great Pyramids. and a, a, dude or a lady? I thought it was a lady. It, it's a boy. Really? Yes. <laughs> I, right. I can confirm it is a boy. Um, constructing the Great Pyramids and, like, thousands of people around worshipping him. Saying, like, something that I can't remember. But essentially, like, this is the first mutant ever. And this is, like, 5,000 years ago. And he eventually becomes Apocalypse. Um... And there's apparently, if you look hard enough in the scene, there's, like, you can see the four horsemen in the background. But that uh, the filmmaker, as far as the filmmakers are concerned, this is just sort of, like, a nod to let you know that he is in the universe and that Apocalypse will be involved in the next movie. But they're not married to that actor playing Apocalypse or anything. But I think that this is, like, one of those moments where you really, like, see the fact that there's... They're, I think that they're doing on, like, a continuum of who's doing the best job with superhero movies. Like, I think that Fox is doing a better job than Sony is with the Spider-Man movies, but they're still not up to Marvel levels because you have this button that is completely baffling. Like, what the actual fuck is going on here? And then yeah, you tell I me... Them, I would put them solidly in the middle. Yeah. Like, not Marvel, but not Sony. In the middle. Yeah, and then you're kind of like, but apparently this has nothing to do, really, with the over... Okay, fine, sure. It, it's not an effective tease. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all I know was, I was just at that moment, you know, when, like, you're like, I desperately need to find the ladies' room. Yes. And you're like, but I have to wait. Yes. <laughs> I just hated myself, and then I hated that button seeing, so I was like, what? really? What? I'm out of here. I'm like, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) And we were also discussing whether or not we had Rex for this week. Yeah, but I I think we also agreed that we were not really sure that we're at any point where we would wreck anything related to the current movie. Yeah, I wonder what's going to come out of this movie. Yeah, I'm not sure, fandom-wise, if it's going to actually give the jolt in the arm that, like, a fandom needs to pop up. And I feel like this is happening more and more. Like, Captain America 2 was obviously an outlier on this in the sense that it arrived and then, like, the Steve Bucky, like, tsunami hit the shores of fandom. But, like, um, the second Star Trek movie came out and, like, it didn't really make a dent and it didn't really restart that fandom with any success. And I I sense that... 
I think the reason Captain America 2 is an outlier, though, is because it introduced, um, well, it sounds like Steve and Bucky weren't in the first movie, but, like, they're the tragic romance of the second movie. Like, yeah. they are. Like, and I think in a way that's much more dramatic and more, more pronounced. And, like, if anybody walked out of that movie not thinking that Steve needed to find Bucky, like, I don't, I don't know who they are. Yeah. I don't know how they think or feel. Because everything, I'm, I was just like, find Bucky. You gotta find him. Yeah. Or he has to find Steve. I don't care. You need to find each other because I just need that to happen. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's the part where Phantom was just like, yoink. Like, exactly. I mean, all of that, give that to me right now. Yeah. I do have one recommendation, though. It is from the first movie, so it is not um, Days of Future Past compliant. It is, however, Days of Future Past compliant in the sense that it is Charles Xavier trolling around with Logan. We didn't really talk about in this episode, but who did excellent work and was yeah. really funny and great in this movie. Um, I loved him to pieces, and his butt looks great. Uh, yeah. so <laughs> like, oh, how old is, is he with Jack Mendehow? I, I, I don't know. He's, like, eternal, and so is that ass. It's just going to keep working. It's going to keep going. That was also deeply funny for me, how they're like, um, also, Wolverine never ages, so this is totally going to work with this whole sending your consciousness back. And I was like, uh, sure, good. Yeah, you guys Watch. are so lucky that Hugh Jackman still looks exactly the same. But, um, but basically, uh, the story that I'm going to wreck is called South of the Border by Sneaker Time. It is one of my favorite stories of all time for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to read you the wreck that I have on my pin board right now. Oh my gosh, I love this story on a lot of different levels, including but not limited to Charles and Logan's uncomplicated, sexy, and sweaty, dirty road trip through various increasingly disreputable parts south of the border, everybody being forced to get their individual and mutual shit together, and obviously Eric's toxic jealousy. Also, a double plus to Charles Xavier, who is the only person who would think that fucking that random dude you picked up in Mexico in a house you're temporarily sharing with your little sister and your cosmic world-ending love-of-your-life ex-boyfriend less than 24 hours after a head injury is a good idea. He is the best slag, in the vein of how Mr. Tumnus is the best fawn. <laughs> good. Good. No, actually, I, uh, even though I was reading... Just so, so, so much Charles, Eric, after first class. Uh, I also made, like, a, a small foray into reading Charles Logan, just because you're like, Charles, make better decisions. Exactly. He's this nice, this nice boy. With his <laughs> okay, name. are we really calling Logan a nice boy now? Is this what no, we've been reduced but, like, to? Comparatively speaking, comparatively <laughs> speaking, like... If you, like, sort of put Logan on one side and, and Eric on the other, like, I don't think that's a contest. All right, one fair enough. Crazy cakes. The other is a dude who, you know, has his issues, but ultimately is, like, good-hearted. In conclusion, do you recommend people go check out this film, Hoyden? Um, you know, I found, you know, it was entertaining. It was visually, like, interesting. It was kind of clever and funny in parts, and it was sort of a satisfying character romp. And so, yes, like if you're going to go see like a big screen, like sort of sciencey fiction action adventure movie this summer, I was like, I could recommend this absolutely. Like, especially, but only if you've got background in the other X movies. Otherwise, you'll be hopelessly lost. Yeah, I feel like you're absolutely correct on that recommendation. Like, if you don't know anything about the X Men universe, this is not the film to go watch. Like. No, My, you need to start someplace else. Yeah, your head would have exploded. I would also second that recommendation to go check out this movie. I would say that as part of my recommendation, that this is not going to be the sort of, like, kick in the pants, like, holy crap, emotionally soaring epic, but there are some really finely crafted pieces in it. There are some lovely actors doing really good work in it. And if nothing else, the Quicksilver in the White House kitchen scene or the Pentagon kitchen scene is worth oh, the cost of admission. It's so great. And you know what I'm going to do after this um, to the surprise of like exactly nobody? <laughs> um, I am probably going to go back and reread that Pride and Prejudice AU again forever. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, and the Pride and Prejudice AU that Mucinex Toyden is referring to right now is First Impressions by Serona, and it's on AO3. So just it's do a search. Three, her and I both made terrible noises at each other. Just terrible noises about like Charles being handed up into a carriage, and I was just like, "This is everything I want." That's <laughs> um, not the Mucinex talking. I thought that without music. Sure, sure. We have to end this. Hoyden, thank you for joining me on the podcast, and thank you for being, like, my friend as we (laughs) journey into the dark land of, like, oh, why are we so into this dumb series of movies? You're welcome. Yes, yes. Um, Alright, guys, that wraps us up for this week. If you want to catch us during the rest of the week, you can find us on Twitter at Slash Report. You can find us on Tumblr, also at Slash Report, even though we don't post anything there. Um, I am on Twitter at Often Imprudent, and Hoyden is on Twitter at Hoyden Alrighty, guys, um, we will catch you on the flip side. Bye! Bye! Oh, I am. Don't worry. Oh, thank God. I think the Mucinex is kicking in. Probably. Because if you listen to your comments from the last five minutes, you sound real stoned.